Welcome to the fifth edition of the Exact Target Developer Podcast. I'm Roger Brinkley, and in this edition of the podcast, we'll do a feature interview with Kevin Parkinson on UX 2.6 and the 3.0 work that they're currently doing. But first, let's go to the uh, events section, and in the events uh, tomorrow... On February 25th, the Indianapolis Developer Meetup is uh, meeting. This will be the first meetup that they're having. Uh, so we would encourage anybody from the Indianapolis area or the Indiana, as far as that goes, to uh, come to that. March 5th, the Portland Community User Group, uh, they'll be talking about the Hub Exchange. And then on March 25th, the uh, Indianapolis Developer will meet up again. We're going to be talking about AMP scripts and APIs. Kelly Andrews will be leading that effort. And then on April 17th, the Indianapolis Exact Target Community, that is different from the developer community, will be talking about AMP scripts and data extensions as well. Turning now to our feature interview, and today had an opportunity to speak with Kevin Parkinson about UX 2.6, which was released last week, and also the 3.0 work that he's doing. So let's go directly into that interview. Kevin, welcome to the show. Hi there. Nice to meet you. Tell everybody, since you're new to the show, this is the first time that you've been on this particular show. Just give them a little bit of background about yourself and uh, about what you're working on at Exact Target. Sure. Well, my name is Kevin Parkinson. I'm a UI engineer on the UX architecture team. I am working with Fuel UX currently. It's a library that we've been working on for several years here at Exact Target. We're working on the 3.0 version right now, so we're very excited about it. Fuel UX, what is it? So, well, it's a UI library. Uh, it has a lot of different controls, lots of different things. I mean, we have a data grid, we have a spinner, um, you know, different check boxes, radio boxes to make them look consistent across browsers. And it's basically extending Bootstrap. So that's a, a popular library. A lot of people use their uh, applications. We just built on top of that so we didn't have to rebuild all the underlying pieces. We did this in order to make all of our applications more consistent and just allow the application developers here at Exact Target and just make it easier for them to build their apps. So these extensions that you put in, are they really just uh, Exact Target extensions? I mean, if somebody wanted to, could they be using them outside of Fuel UX? Yeah, well, and so we built them for the purpose of building Exact Target applications, but after we built them, we realized, you know what, this could be helpful for other people. So we just decided to open source them, put them out on GitHub. It's actually become a pretty popular repository. There's some 3,300 uh, stars. Um, we have a lot of followers. We have people forking it, some 700 forks. And so it's it's really taken off quite well. The thing about it is we made it so that it, it's following Bootstrap's theme and look uh, to start, but then you apply themes on top of it in order to make it look like exact target applications. Technically, people could come up with whatever theme they want. So they could brand it for their own particular brand if they wanted to do something like yeah. that. Yeah, it's uh, completely themable. We have CSS3, but we use uh, less in order to build them. So this less gets compiled into CSS3, and then that's how you use these style sheets in order to theme the library. We're eventually going to have SAS support as well. Let's talk about what's in 2.6, and then we'll talk about the the, um, release conventions. Actually, I'm going to start with the the how we uh, version because what we're following is the standard versioning uh, protocol. So it's major version, uh, minor version, then revision number. So we jumped from 2.5.2 to 2.6 because minor versions have new features and potential breaking changes. Major versions have breaking changes galore and all sorts of new features. But revision numbers can only have bug fixes. They can't have breaking 
breaking changes or new features. So we up the minor version because we have a new feature in this release. That being said, in 2.6.0, the new feature that we have is row selection for data grid control. So basically you use this enable select option, you set that to true, and now you can actually click on the various rows that you have in your, your data grid. So that was something people wanted and it's there now. It was We actually had it contributed by someone from another team, Andy Engel. We're very grateful for his work. Basically we have that enable select. There's also a multi-select option. You set that to true and you can select several rows at a time and there's uh, callbacks for when these items are selected and deselected. So that's covering a lot of the needs that uh, people were asking for. We're glad to have that feature. On top of that we have some various uh, bug fixes for checkbox and radio. We have performance improvements to the date picker. We have a, a border added to a wizard content. We documented the highlight class for checkbox and radio control, which modifies its appearance. That actually has been a, a feature for a while, and it just was never documented. It was kind of a phantom feature. Finally documented that. Now people are aware of it. And we've just improved documentation for across the board for various controls. So it wasn't a huge release besides the, the new features to the data grid, but it's important because it's probably one of the last updates to the 2.x lineage that we have. We'll probably only release revisions for 2.6. If we do release another minor version, it's really going to have to have a good reason for that because we're working on 3.0 and we want to move onward. Eventually, we're going to sunset the whole 2.x lineage, but that's not for a, a while. But in the meantime, we are definitely not going to be adding more features to that. So let's talk about 3.0 then. What have you got for plans? What's the direction you're looking at for 3.0? To start, we want to build on Bootstrap 3.0 instead of the current build on, it's, I think, 2.5.2. That's a big deal. There was a lot introduced in uh, Bootstrap 3.0. We have a lot of people asking for it on our user voice. That's a a poll that we have on our GitHub account, and that's the highest one. So we really want to focus on that. Curiosity question. Bootstrap 3.0 or UX 3.0, is there a commonality between the naming of those those two? Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the idea is keeping the versions similar. I mean, we're not going to follow their versioning to the T because they're releasing, uh, I mean, often faster at different times than us. But by them having a three major version and us having a three major version, it kind of links in your mind, oh, okay these two go together that was part of the idea is okay you know now that we're building on the 3.0 bootstrap we might as well up our version to 3.0 tough question here um 3.0 backwards compatibility with 2.6 from a bootstrap perspective from from a ux perspective fuel ux will be backwards compatible in a lot of ways in fact i think most of the controls aren't going to change too much but they probably will change. Uh, we're going to fix a few things. So we'll have a migration page that I'll tell you about the things that change. Now, Bootstrap 3.0's changes are a lot more drastic in certain areas. In terms of their compatibility, their grid system has changed dramatically. They've changed, I mean, a lot of underlying framework issues about their code base. So there's like font icons instead of images and things like that. So in terms of Bootstrap uh, 3.0 compatibility with underlying stuff, I think the controls are, again, like like ours, a lot of controls are similar, but there's a lot of changes to their grid system and things like that. What are the major additions, really, that you're bringing in in 3.0? One of the things that we're changing as well is we're making it UMD compliant. What we've had before is it's used RequireJS um, in order to package all of our controls. The thing about this, that process is you had two options. One, if you're if, if you're a developer, if you're using AMD you would use the source folder 
and you would use the individual files to bring in the controls that you want. You use FuelUX as the directory for the source file, and then you bring in the controls using require whatever AMD uh, library you're using. If you're not using AMD, you couldn't use those files. It would break because it's looking for require, and that's not defined. If you weren't using AMD, you'd have to use a thing called Loader.js. So that was a big problem for casual JS uh, developers because they would try to slap in one of of the random files on their page and it would break and they were confused. How do I get FuelUX on my page? And we'd often have to direct them to the loader.js file or tell them to use require, which is too complicated for a lot of users. What we're changing this time around is we're using UMD, which stands for Universal Module Declaration. Basically, all the source files have this kind of wrapper that will allow it to work with either AMD or just slapping it on the page. All of our files, even the the built ones that contain everything have this kind of wrapper instead of using require or depending that. Basically, you could take any file you want and just put it on the page and it'll work. And it'll work with your AMD CommonJS. Hopefully, it helps alleviate a lot of the questions we are seeing and, and confusion while allowing everyone to develop in the way they want. Tell me about some of the new controls and the modules that you're going to be putting in. We're going to be adding this palette control. We did a gap analysis internally to see what controls we were missing from common patterns across applications. We were missing a palette control. It's like a little draggable pop-up with certain elements on there that you can customize. What type of things would you would you expect to put on top of a palette? The best example where we see this is in the editor. It has all sorts of context-sensitive items on it, like a toolbar for editing text. There's actually, on the editor one, there's a tab that you can switch to other items within there to like stylize a certain area. But what it would be useful for is when you're clicking some kind of region and you need context-sensitive controls. Another control that we're going to be coming out with is the slider. That is very similar to your iOS toggle sliding control. So we have that versus a toggle button in a lot of our applications. So we're going to be adding that as well as a super tab and that we need more design information on, but I believe it's just a larger, more complicated tab. Talk about no images, just font icons. What's happening with that? Like I said, Bootstrap 3.0, all font icons. So they got rid of all their images. And so we're following suit. For those who aren't familiar with a, a font icon, it's basically just developing your own font. Each character maps to a symbol versus A is not mapped to A. A is mapped to, you know, maybe a plus sign or something like that. You develop icons by using a font. The advantage of that is that you can scale this indefinitely. It's vector-based. It can be scaled to any size you want. It could also be colored any color that you wish. You can, on the fly, use CSS to style your icon size, color, etc. The disadvantages are that you have to be flat colors. You can't do gradients currently on all browsers, and it's limited to a certain number of colors. But with our new modern design that we're rolling out at ET, we should be able to satisfy all that with font icons. So that's why we're going in that direction. And it is a a modern pattern that a lot of people are following for app development. Do you have to get a a UI designer involved to be able to do some of the uh, font icons, or is it something that a somewhat gifted developer would be able to do? For our team, we, we know how to build the font icons, but that 
that being said, it's not the, the easiest process to develop these font icons. It involves uh, using Illustrator or some kind of vector-based program in order to build the initial icon and then some kind of program to actually make it into a font. What we do is we use Illustrator, we build out the icon, convert it to an SCG, and then we use Fontastic to build the icon set or the font set itself. It's not the simplest process for most people and that's why it's really helpful to have these icon sets in frameworks or, or libraries that people can use so that they don't have to do that work themselves. Let's talk about some of the other features. You've got a new feature is uh, customizable bundles. That one is another thing that we're mirroring from uh, Bootstrap 3.0. If you go to their documentation page, they have customized page and basically it has all the controls all the different styles and that you just kind of check down a list of things that you want to have it also has which is we think is really cool since they're using less and sas these are uh, languages that allow you to provide variables that get compiled into css you can go in and set different variables since they've made use of them you can theme the look right there on the customized page. We want to mimic that exactly since our underlying structure is all the same. You go through that list, you you know change the variables that you want, and then you hit a download and boom, now you get just the stuff you want versus a giant library when all you need is one thing. And the last new feature looks like it's uh, templates. We're not entirely certain whether this is going to be in fuel proper yet or whether it belongs in theme extension because we have, like I said, we have themes as well. But the idea is that Exact Target has a lot of applications that already have a lot of similar structure to where things go, where, where controls are placed. So if we provide templates, you can just simply use that markup, use those controls. You don't have to do a lot of the work for styling your application. Um, then you can just start rigging up the data behind the scenes. That's uh, something that we want to put in. And if it's part of Fuel UX, it's going to be open source. So other people would be able to use that. We're not entirely sure whether they need that stuff or not because it's kind of exact target specific. But either way, that's either going to be in the library or as part of a theme that you can get which should also be open source more than likely. Going to fix any bugs? We have a lot of issues piled up, so we're going to be fixing a lot of bugs. That's making the library really solid and something that we're proud of is a big priority with this version. We want to make it something that we can really show off and it's already there, but we just want to, you know, further that even more. And especially now that we have dedicated developers to the project for the first time ever, that's a big deal. <laughs> Usually it's always been a side project and we've been working, the developers were working on other projects, just kind of did fuel UX in their spare time. So we now that's a d- dedicated project, we get to really focus on the quality. And of course, merging with Salesforce, going to add some of the, the theming that you see with Salesforce. That's something that we want to have as part of our theme extensions. We want to, we already have the concept of an IMH theme, you know, the marketing cloud is the, the new wave. So we're going to have a Salesforce, you know, exact target marketing cloud theme, and that will have all the new styles. So I've heard a little bit about a pattern library. How does this kind of integrate? What's the relationship between this and the, and the pattern library? The pattern library is something that UXDS is working on. They are taking a lot of different applications across Exact Target and just finding the common patterns like controls, pages, and just design consistencies and just doing an audit on all of them and determining what, what everything should look like across the board. So it's a, it's a style guide, more or less. A really, really you know controlled and focused 
version of that style guide. This, this again, is it's being a dedicated resources to this effort versus being a side project. Once that's finished, then that's what we follow for our theme to make everything look the same. They also have this whole concept of a page that you'll visit in order to see the style guide. On that page, you'll be able to view Fuel UX controls. And so we have an idea of Fuel UX controls, which are hosted, all the documentation is hosted on GitHub. That would feed this page. So you can get more or less everything you need on one page. Kind of one-stop shopping for what stuff should look like and then how you even implement it. Now, you've had a variety of people. This is open-sourced. You've had a variety of people take some of the first versions, the the 2.x versions, and use those in other places. At this point, are you guys taking outside contributions? Uh, Yeah, and we've actually had some. We've had a lot more internal contributions than external, but we've definitely had some people add fixed bugs. We had, I think, a minor feature add at one point from an external source. One of the uh, recent things that I thought was interesting is we were communicating with Bootstrap. We were asking their developers why they made certain changes that we saw them do. And one of the founding Bootstrap Strap came on our page and added a bunch of corrections to some of our documentation. That was kind of cool. You contributed documentation corrections. So we definitely take external contributions and it's great to see them when we see them. Now, as you're doing the development, obviously, as you get a chance, you, you know, somebody goes through the development process, they put some stuff back. Are there early releases of 3.0 or a or, or development tree for 3.0 that people could take a look at now? We have a work in progress branch on, on our uh, GitHub, and that's where all the latest stuff goes. For example, before we released 2.6.0, there was a 2.6.0 uh, work in progress branch, and that's where we had people push their contributions. And the same thing for 3.0. So all that work is taking place there. If people wanted to see what was going on beforehand, they can go in and check that out. I wouldn't recommend using that because <laughs> it changes so frequently, but you can definitely see what we're doing and get an idea for where the project's going. We're talking about people that want to live on the bleeding edge. That's that's definitely the, the case there. It's, it's bleeding edge for sure because it might be broken one day from the next. So use at your own risk type of deal. We could have a concept of a nightly uh, type thing where that stability isn't necessarily at risk, um, but we don't have that in place yet. So that might be something to consider. Do you have milestones that, that you're shooting towards? Well, we definitely have milestones in the sense of a bunch of items on GitHub that we use to track what we want to get accomplished where. And that's all public so people can actually see what we have planned for our various releases. In our 3.0 milestone, we have a bunch of bug fixes that we want to accomplish as well as a bunch of our tasks that I just mentioned before. But not necessarily milestones milestone builds that would include these are a set of things that we know everything is working and nothing like that currently that would be an interesting thing to add i don't know when we would be able to do something like that because we have to get a lot of 3.0 finished currently but that might be something that we consider for our 3.1 is introducing these kind of milestones or stable builds that people can use to try things before it's ready. So where can people find out more information about this? We have a uh, GH Pages site that you can go to. If you just uh, Google Fuel UX, you'll find our pages right there. That's got all the information that you need on it in terms of implementation, documentation on the GH page, and everything you need to go. That's your your first stop. Anything else you'd like to add? Like I said before, we really like contributors. So if anybody wants to contribute, let us know. Email uh, kparkerson at exacttarget.com. And just say, hey, how can I help? Kevin, thanks so much for your time. 
Thank you. Turning now to the tip of the week. So, uh, Michael, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Roger. And uh, what have we got for a tip of the week this week? Well, this week I wanted to highlight a feature called SendLog Data Extensions, which is not an API-specific function, uh, but is commonly used to develop advanced use cases within the exact target platform, since the data that gets written to for a SendLog can be retrieved using an API request or queried using query activities. So what is a SendLog data extension? So a SendLog data extension is a special type of data extension that will write an entry for each email sent, either for a triggered send email or for a user-initiated email that will include all of the current profile attributes for the given subscriber. So it basically provides a snapshot of exactly what a subscriber record would look like at the time that that email was sent. This can be helpful for many different use cases, including doing one-to-one tracking for transactional emails. So if you're sending multiple emails to a single subscriber and you would like to be able to track those independently, SendLogging provides a good way to be able to help differentiate multiple emails to a single subscriber. It's also nice when people want to set up a custom view as a web page functionality because it provides that snapshot so they can present and render a web page that is current to that specific time when the email was sent, not the current state that the subscriber exists in today, which could be different. If Just to note that this feature is not enabled by default with data extensions, so you may need to contact Exact Target Global Support in order to get it enabled. But in order to see if you do have this enabled, when you go to create a data extension, just select the Create From Template option, and you should see an option for Send Log Data Extension. If you see that there, then you already have it enabled, and you should be good to go. Turning now to the What's Cool segment, and what's cool for me this week was the Exact Target uh, GS. SSK met this week. This is the Global Sales and Service Kickoff and a great opportunity for the uh, sales and service guys to get together. So uh, if you're working with a um, exact target global sales and service guy, uh, great opportunity for you to go tag them and say, hey, what'd you learn at GSSK this week? Well, thanks for listening to the fifth edition of the Exact Target Developer Podcast. I'm Roger Brinkley and send your feedback to devpodcast at exacttarget.com.